This is Coda Radio, episode 230 for November 7th, 2016. And welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and hopefully, prepared to rescue me from my trip next week. Why, yes, it's our host, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Mike! Salam and good evening, Mr. Fisher. It is a somber day. Let's be honest. Uh, there is an apocalypse coming tomorrow, <laughs> and we're just all like the the internet is in a vacuum right now. Nothing all that interesting tech news wise is happening today because tomorrow is the U.S. election, and only somebody like Samsung would be crazy enough to make a big announcement today. Have you noticed that? Everybody else is shutting up. They're all except for Balmer. Balmer opened up his mouth. We'll talk about that too. Dude, Balmer's got a lot in his mind. Oh yeah, he has some things to share and some history to revision, and we'll get to that. Actually, we managed to put together a good amount of content thanks to some great feedback we got from our audience about last week's episode. So, are you uh, are you in like a go position? Do you have a beverage? Do you have like everything I, you I need? Do. And, you know, like my distant cousin from a different mother, Jon Snow, mm. um, I believe that winter is coming. I thought you were going to say Barack Obama for some reason. I don't know why, but I just... No, th- I, I'm actually from Nigeria, not Kenya. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Oh, that's right. That's right. That's right. That, the money. That, did not, that did not feel good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know what? We're going to miss it. So you might as well get it out yeah. now. We're going to miss it. It's all changing. I'm enjoying a Samuel Adams winter lager today. It oh, is man. both warm and festive, of course according to the you know, redesigned label. Do you suppose the IRS would get us in trouble if I started buying beer and called it a business expense? Because I feel like it's it's inappropriate that I that I am doing Coda Radio with you uh, with, with a glass of water. I mean, mistakes um, have been made, Mr. Dominic. Would, would that not be a legitimate business expense, actually? I don't know. I'm asking you. I mean, you're the guy that's super paranoid about the IRS, so I'm, <laughs> I'm bouncing that your way and then seeing first if you... <laughs> first of all, I literally got a letter from them today, so it's not paranoid if they're out to get you. Okay, fair enough. You are, jeez, man, they got the word. You're like Donald Trump when it comes to the IRS, constantly under audit. Yeah, except I pay taxes, but they're like, yeah, that's not enough, bro. Yeah, <laughs> we want more. Yeah. Boy, when you that's the thing you don't really ever understand until you start your own business. I yeah. loved – we got a couple of links from the audience about the uh, the MacBook Pro or the MacBook Dongle Edition or the MacBook 16 gig, whatever you want to call it. We got a, we got a lot of feedback from all the different uh, sides. And oh. we – you know, I didn't even realize this, but somebody passed along. There is a hack to actually get 32 gigabytes of RAM in the new MacBook Pro, and this kind of changes, I think, the entire discussion. Yeah. It, it's super clever, too. Yeah. It, and I'm surprised we didn't mention it in the show last week. You just buy two of them. For $5,198. <laughs> yeah, I love that. What's the big deal? You just buy two of them with 16 gigs of RAM. <laughs> that seems like the, you know, that is the perfect Apple fix, isn't it? Just buy two of them. <laughs> they're, like, they're like, that's exactly what you should do. And then, of course, you've probably seen this because, like I said, there's not much happening on the internet today. There is, however, um, I'm going to mute this before it goes crazy. There is, however, a uh, a Nyan Cat now for the Touch Bar. Somebody's developed a full-on Nyan Cat uh, little uh, 
little uh, Pop-Tart flying cat that goes across the touch bar with a rainbow behind its butt. <laughs> it's just, <laughs> this is the peak of, <laughs> this is what we're doing right now. This is what we're doing right now, Mike. It's almost <laughs> as if no one wants to go up against the election. It's uh, weird, right? <laughs> This is what we're doing. And People are like intentionally avoiding doing things. Also, a fart app has been created for the touch bar. I don't know if you've seen that. So some, no, I'm surprised one didn't already exist. This is, this is entering full-on gimmick territory. It's not a disaster yet, but it is entering full-on gimmick territory so i i wonder if we're going to see this thing develop into an actual useful tool or not and how useful is it if it's not across the entire mac line right i mean how useful is it i mean how likely are you to support it as a developer if it's only on a couple of models of laptops it doesn't seem like a very long term it doesn't seem very long term and what about a keyboard what about a desktop keyboard with touch bar are they going to do that well i feel like uh you know that's going to happen right you think so you think i mean yeah. they're not making a display so why would they make a keyboard it's a bad situation over there. I think it's crazy they stopped making a display. Uh, but um, offensively bu- uh, bad uh, wrote in on the subreddit and passed along, there is a way to get a touch bar uh, on your Mac right now, or actually on an iPad. You don't have to have one of the new MacBook Pros. There is a demo you can run, and he actually got it running on his iPad, the, uh, the touch bar, and then he propped his iPad above his keyboard to just test out the functionality of it to see, like, would this be something I want to buy and upgrade to? And that was kind of clever. So he's running the simulator on his, on his iPad mini or whatever it is, mounted at the top of his Bluetooth keyboard, and he says, so far, it's been pretty useless for his workflow. Uh, I'm going to give it a try for a full week to see if I can uncover any helpful features. But that is... I knew you could run it in a, in, a, in a simulator, but that's a clever way to actually test its usefulness. Plus, what else are you using your iPad for? I mean, let's be honest. <laughs> Just set it there. You're not using it for anything. I actually, YouTube videos. YouTube I, yeah, videos. Yeah, and, yeah, and kids apps. Boy, that's great for kids apps. Um, so I thought that was all actually kind of some pretty good, pretty good follow-up. You know, I've tried to uh, take it all in, uh, all the things that people have suggested and, and written in, and there is a bit of it. So last week I got into a little bit of the workflow aspect of it, and I, I reflected on it a bit more, and I've decided what I'm going to do is I'm going to hang tight with my 2013 MacBook Pro for a while uh, because it's it's working enough for me right now, and it dual boots Arch Linux really well. It, it's it's just working like a champ, and uh, I can boot into macOS, and I just update, I upgraded to Sierra, and here's what I said too, as I said. I'm going to do the Sierra update. And if this just totally borks my Linux install on this, then this isn't a viable tool because I can't get in the position where I'm being, where I'm, where I'm essentially treating it like a Hackintosh and I'm not upgrading major OS releases. That's just not sustainable for a, for for a real tool, especially because Final Cut is constantly depending on the latest OS, like every Apple tool. So I did the Sierra update after last week's show on my 2013 MacBook Pro Retina. And it's not a bad machine. It's got a terabyte SSD in it. It's got um, some crappy graphics from years ago. But it's got a Core i7, I think. I think. I think 2.7, maybe 2.2 gigahertz. I can't remember. But it turbo boosts up pretty high. It's got 16 gigs of RAM. And it's running Linux now. I did the Sierra update. And it nothing changed. Like, it's still, by default, when I hit the power button, boots into Arch Linux. It didn't even change the boot order of the OSs or anything. It left my Linux install completely untouched. And so my solution right now is I'm just going to hang tight with this thing, even though I, I am legitimately, whenever I'm editing out, 
out of the studio with it. I am I am I am down to like one or two gigabytes free on the hard drive constantly. I'm 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 I, I have probably deleted more precious footage in the last two years than I ever thought I would in my lifetime just trying to manage the storage on this little laptop. So a two terabyte model would be really appealing. But I'm making it work so far. But I, I, I came to a place, Mike, is I, I spent more time with some of the other tools that are available on Linux. And my my position now is I'm going to – I spend all day on Linux. I'm going to work on Linux. But when I when it comes time to edit video, uh, I'm just going to boot in the Mac and I'm just going to use the Mac tools for – I'm going to keep using it and just hope that they update these laptops in 2017, maybe like around WWDC or in November again with something that goes up to 32 gigs of RAM because if I'm going to upgrade my MacBook Pro, I gotta get, I'm going to get something with more RAM. I checked it, I checked it yesterday. And uh, I was using 12.8 gigs of RAM before I launched Final Cut. And I've seen a lot of bullshit articles on Medium and on Reddit and on Twitter that people are like, well, I've, I've, I launched 55 applications with two VMs and a Photoshop file that's 32 megapixels, and I'm only using 12 gigs of RAM, so I can't imagine why a professional would ever need more than 16 gigs of RAM. Completely unaware, completely ignorant to the way that OS X's memory management subsystem actually works, and it scales based on how much available RAM you have, and so when you have more RAM, it gives applications more RAM to use. That's how a memory management system works. And But the Internet is full of all of these Apple apologists right now that are apologizing and defending the fact that they've put Skylake CPUs in this thing instead of KB Lake, and they're stuck at 16 gigs of RAM. And, they, and, and, and the fact that the USB-C dongles are a dumpster fire right now. I don't know if you've seen some of the reviews where people are hooking up uh, like uh, yeah I've seen some of the like multi daisy chained USB dongle reviews right where it's like and there's some there when, yeah. when you hook up a capture card Wi-Fi shuts down and things like this so so it's weird though I mean I haven't seen a ton of apologists I've really seen oh I think like people are sending me stuff like to to, yeah, to respond to my maybe it's like individuals responding to you like the Verge's review by uh, I forgot his last name but Vlad the uh, Mac guy there was not at all glowing, right? It was actually pretty, you know, he makes the point that this would be awesome if it was called the MacBook uh, Air, Mm -hmm. which is super true. It would be an awesome MacBook Air. It's a terrible Mac Pro, uh, MacBook Pro rather. Uh, I I have, well, I'm going to kind of take it back. So the more iOS dev Apple podcasts I listen to have been much more forgiving than I think the traditional, like, old-school Mac audience has been. And I think that's where you're starting to see a separation between people who came into the Apple ecosystem um, as iOS developers, right, versus people who are, like, longtime Mac people. Because one of the things that was really interesting about, like, the original Macs is that they were extensible, right? They were... You could put cards in them. You could upgrade them. You could build dongles, God forbid. They had huge SCSI ports built in. Right. <laughs> yeah, and, and I also think I also what I here's what I'm a, here's why because I didn't actually want to talk about this a lot, but and I think I but we are leading to something else besides the MacBooks. But um, I think what I've kind of found offensive is I've been told I've been told for a week straight now that well my use case is an edge case. You're just an edge case, Chris. Okay, but if you add up a, enough edge cases, you get a pretty significant part of the market. And I would I would add that like the whole pro market is itself an edge case. So I I don't I, I get where they're going with that argument. I really don't like it. Right? You do I, I, exactly. I think it's yep. Yep. very dismissive of the. First of all, it's the pro market, particularly the pro art uh, design and development market that 
basically saved Apple. And, you know, there is an element of Apple kind of trading up to the consumer market, right? To saying, listen, and maybe in a year we'll all be USB-C everywhere and it'll be so funny about how we were all mad. But, you know, that doesn't make that processor a Cabby Lake, right? That makes it still a Skylake processor. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't make the maximum RAM not bad. Or the it GPU make, not slow. Or the GPU non, non-existent. It doesn't right. make the... Uh, <laughs> You know the keyboard still crap, right? In the touch bar, maybe the touch bar will be cool, but you know I don't know that that is an appropriate feature for a pro product. Yeah, that's interesting too. And um, that is the one where I feel the weakest on, right? Like I could be proven wrong. Yeah, on the touch oh, yeah, bar. yeah. Here's where I here's where I feel like uh, this is going. I uh, first of all have once again realized that um, <clears throat> a tool that I depend on. Is being is being taken from me, or actually, what mm-hmm. it is is that the tool isn't being taken so much as slowly modified to fit a more a market that I actually thought I was in, but now I'm realizing maybe I'm not. And I thought I was kind of when it came to like hardware, software, gear, kind of the prosumer category because I don't make enough money to go like really expensive gear, but the really basic stuff that's all auto and and point and shoot isn't good enough. Like you know, I thought okay. I don't know where I fit in, but now I'm thinking what Apple wants is like like those vloggers that are editing video in the coffee shop. And I'm not, to, I'm not trying to be derogatory. I think there is a certain mass market that they might be shooting for, and there's I just think they're perhaps backing away from the actual professional market. And it's ironic me that the me somebody who uses Linux in all aspects, but still prefers that, that still thinks this is the best tool. I'm stuck here. And that's why – that's what gets me is I don't like being minimized and told it's an edge case because it's a tool and a platform that's being adapted and taken away from me. Hmm. I digress. I continue to think a Hackintosh will be perhaps the way to go, but we'll get to that. Let's move on because yeah. I want to get to what this is really leading to, this whole conversation, and that is your new machine and the fact that you bought a new machine before the MacBook event – and although I think you've had some speed bumps, I think you made the right call. So let's talk about the, the problems you've ran into. First, though, I want to thank our first sponsor, and that's DigitalOcean. In fact, you can go over there and use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. You get a $10 credit, and you'll also let them know that you heard about it right here on the show, which keeps us going. It supports the show. Now, DigitalOcean has droplets. These are machines that you can spin up in less than 55 seconds, and they start at $5 a month if you want to do a monthly plan or hourly pricing. This is sweet. If you're testing a build, experimenting with a project, hourly pricing is so cool. And they have so many great systems with really in- incredible high-end, like two over 200 gigs of RAM, like high-end systems, or tiny systems, 512 megabytes of RAM, a single CPU, and all of these rigs use SSD storage. And if you use our promo code, you get that $10 credit. You can use it any way you want. And if you need your system to expand, they make it easy to do that. They have block storage you can attach. Their UI is simple, even if you've never managed a server before. I mean, I don't know how they do it. I don't know, I don't know how they did all of this. But they finally brought each individual piece together. And they have data centers all over the world, in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, and India. And they have an API behind all of this you can use, and you never have to go to the website. It's a really nice, well-documented API with tons of good code already written you could use for reference or just take advantage of. DigitalOcean.com 
and use our promo code CODERDIGITAL. One word, just smush it all together, apply it to your account. DigitalOcean.com, and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Uh, you know, right before we jump into what happened to you this week on the new rig, I thought maybe I would quickly plug meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Oh! I'm going to be in uh, California this weekend, and if you're in the Oakland or Berkeley area and would like to eat some of the country's best dumplings, well, actually, they serve all kinds of Chinese food, but they're well-known for their dumplings, I'm told, uh, go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting or find the direct link in our show notes and sign up. Maybe we'll do, grab a little lunch on Sunday at uh, 12. You can also tweet me at Chris Elias if you're in the area. And uh, let's say hi. Meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting this weekend as we record. It'll be November 13th, 2016, if you're listening in the future. All right. I, I, uh, my heart sank a little bit when I saw this tweet. Uh, Mr. Dominic tweets me, uh-oh, I just had a kernel panic on my beloved Rattel. So not the new rig, but the older no, rig. No, the, uh, the Rattel Pro was... Uh... Yeah, so you're sitting yeah. there plugging away, working, or what? What was your? Were you browsing the web? What, so what are you doing? I I hit something in the audio driver. Um, oh, really? I in, yeah, I I plugged in a new audio device. I was listening to music via YouTube Red. Plug, plug, plug. Oh my god! I was going to make a joke about Katy Perry uh, music videos on YouTube when you tweeted me that, and that's it actually was what... actually Tiffany Albert. Okay, <laughs> oh, I can't believe I was close though. <laughs> I was going to be derogatory. Cover. I was going to be like, yeah. haha, that's what you get for watching so much YouTube. Your your computer's so, revolting. <laughs> well, I plugged in an audio device and it just freaked out and crashed. Wow. So you get the thing you turn on. It's like your Plug computer. Plug and crash. Yeah. And it turns out there is some weird interplay you can occasionally get if you're plugging in a new audio device and Chrome is like streaming audio. Uh huh. Yeah, that doesn't so it surprise seems me. seems like much. it's a Chrome issue, not a. System yeah, it's too bad. It would, oh, yeah, but it was too bad it would take down the whole system, though. Well, it's weird that it's not, like, isolated. Like, like at the very least, you know, Chrome should have crashed, or maybe even just the tab. This is not, fascinating. I wonder if, yeah. I mean, so why, here's, here's in my, my view, the way this should have worked is, if anything, maybe Pulse Audio could have crashed, unless Chrome is trying to talk to the audio hardware directly. I wonder if they're you know, trying I, to do some sort of funky bypass magic. I know Chrome does weird stuff on Mac that can, like, hose your system. Bypass the pulse. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that Chrome does that, right? Hmm. But, yes, it was not Katy Perry. It was Tiffany Albert. Was that your first uh, kernel panic? Yes. On the Raytel. Yes. Wait, are you implying that the Lemur is crashing? Uh, the Lemur has crashed. Really? Yes. And this is all Ubuntu 16.04? Well, it's 04 on the Raytail and mm. 10 on mm-hmm. the, okay. the, uh, the, I call it the Lemur, but apparently it's Lemur. Lemur. Lemur, yes, Lemur. Actually, um, I think it is Lemur, but yeah. You know, these are the same kind of crashes you would sometimes get on Mac, right? You're changing from clamshell mode to non-clamshell mode, and the screen flick freaks out. and the, Oh, okay. Yeah. crashes yeah you know anything with audio or video seems a little risky i have been using the lemur more in a uh, laptop mode recently and it is not holding up nearly as well in laptop mode as clamshell mode what do you now, mean holding up like battery wise well battery wise for sure um but also it's just very loud you're telling me mode. it runs better when you're running it with the screen closed yes <laughs> How does that uh, how does that compute, Mr. Dominic? Well, it seems like it'd be running hotter with the screen closed. So I have a theory. I have a theory that it's not running better. 
that because it is on the other side of a desk, you know, away from me, I don't hear the fan, right? I don't feel the heat. When it's on my lap in laptop mode, I hear the fan and the fan's pretty loud. It's not horrible, but it's definitely noticeable yeah, when yeah, you're, yeah. particularly in Ruby mind. I noticed like running any kind of like rake operation, I could definitely feel that baby crank up. Um, this is a tough one because I think in one in one way, especially later model MacBooks, they might have the the one of their more quieter uh, cooling systems, but with the other they're also doing more thermal throttling too. So right. it's kind of a win lose. Well, it's a question of like how obnoxious is this fan noise versus do you want to downclock right and i'm running an i7 so it's extra hot um you know it's been interesting i'm still pretty happy with the lemore but i i definitely would say that it does not have a great showing in laptop mode without a mouse so i don't understand what you mean by that but you mean you mean like uh the trackpad and the battery life are bad Hmm. What do you mean when you say it doesn't have a good yeah, show? Yeah, like, I'm trying, I'm, I'm trying to think. Or do you I mean, just mean like the experiencing of using it is underwhelming you? Well, let me let me go into a white room with a black turtle. <laughs> <right here. laughs> and maybe have a slight accent. I don't know. <laughs> what you all got? Oh, no, no, God. Oh, jeez. No. Don't, don't, let's not do the accent. <laughs> let's not. Uh, let's <laughs> leave the accent <laughs> at the door. <laughs> Yikes. Yeah, uh, overall experience in laptop mode is pretty rough, uh, hmm. kind of on the couch. The trackpad is not on a surface is basically not super usable. Mm. Again, I find Macs not super usable either, not on a desk. So this is, you know, not that bad. But one thing I did notice was the fan noise. I mean, that was really, really starting to get to me. And I don't, you know, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds to it. Like you, I don't want thermal downclocking all the time, right? And you wanted like, an i7 too. And I wanted an i7 but I don't think launching RubyMine ought to like crank up the fan like that. And it's a little weird. Yeah, you know, I definitely noticed that my MacBook 2013, uh, it runs the fans more and louder under Linux than it does under the Mac. But I always attribute that to the thermals are so much different and Apple has so many drivers that they don't release that. I don't, right. I don't really know what it, but I do notice it runs hotter under Linux. That's that is for sure. Now I have other systems like my Apollo, which is Skylake. It doesn't it doesn't tend to get loud that often unless I really push it. Well, to be totally unfair to the lemur, like the Raytel's silent, which it's a desktop and it has lots of room for like natural cooling and all yeah, that. Yeah, and kind a larger of stuff. CPU cooling fan, which makes a yeah. big difference in terms of noise. But I would say, you know, in terms of if I had to. Pick only one System76 Linux computer, or I would probably keep the Raytel. Yeah? Yeah, but, yeah. you know, for me, just because I'm recording, uh, the machine sound is a really, really big deal. And I was having issues with it just yesterday. I just, I I, I don't like the sound of computer fans when I'm recording, and I, I have so many computers in here, it's still a bit of an issue. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, w- you know, having said that, would I be willing to pay double for the equivalent MacBook? No, right? I mean. Yeah, I wonder still, if that's the question. Like, if, yeah. if this is a work tool, uh, like we mentioned last week, I think it was, you could buy two of these a year for the cost of a MacBook, or more, actually. And so every iter- you could, in theory, buy every iteration of the System 76, every small upgrade they do and tweak, and still be 
if you say how I say you buy a new Mac every couple of years, right, or every year in some cases, I don't know. It, it, there is some trade offs, and I wonder if I wonder if we have all sort of collectively been convinced to fall harder on the side of thin light and quiet, and if it isn't worth. Well, I, I will say though that the if I was more of a traditional laptop user and I didn't run my machines in clamshell mode, the trackpad. You know, the first couple of days it was fine. The first week it was fine. But now, you know, sitting on the couch with the misses and having the baby crawling around, it's like, okay, I need, a tra- I need to be able to do things fast. And having a trackpad that doesn't feel accurate mm. is pretty annoying. Like and this the, is the stock install, right? Yeah, this is the stock mm-hmm. install. Okay. The, uh, you know, the fan noise, I can, I, I honestly, I can put up with, right? I've got the TV going, I've got music on, and, you know, it's really weird. It, it comes on and it comes off. Because it's obviously hitting some sort of thermal metric yeah. running and yeah. turning off. And using Chrome probably, right? Because that's what seems to turn my fan I'm on. always in Chrome and I'm yeah, always yep, got some streaming. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, every JetBrains IDE is basically a big bag of Java. So it's probably using a ton of memory, right? So there's there's reasons that, like, it could get hot that makes sense. But the fact that I I just can't, like, effectively use this laptop on my lap on the other side of the couch for my wife means that I can't use it as a laptop, Without like a table or a tray or something, so that is kind of that is frustrating, and that is a a, a function of the trackpad. Hmm. And I'm not sure, you know. Remember, System Seventy Six is not a sponsor of this show. I am not sure how they would resolve that, considering that they just repackage, you know, other people's hardware, right? Yeah. There. Well, there is, as you probably know, there is very much a software component to make a good trackpad. Yeah, and there is there is, there is tweaks they can make there because they have a System seventy six driver, which I assume would be installed on your system. It is pre installed. I mean, but there's something they, you can tweak. I, I would yeah. imagine they've probably pushed it as far as they can. I mean, there's yeah. not a there is there is I don't I don't have a lot of experience with Lenovo current laptops, but even I mean, I don't there is not a lot of laptops out there that have good trackpads. I actually kind of like the touchpoint things, whatever the little nipples oh, are. Yeah. Oh, the old, uh, the old little red nipples. Yeah, because they're quick and accurate. Yeah, they're accurate. I mean, I whipped out my wife's Dell XPS just to like try the trackpad there, and it's not much better. So, th- I'm still willing to say that like the System 76 Lemur is within the band of crappy non-Apple trackpads. Yeah, that new MacBook has a much bigger trackpad. See, is, does that help? I think it might. See, I'm not sure that it's size. I, I it's like. Read accuracy and like scrolling accuracy. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. But I do feel like the most PC laptop trackpads are still too small. But yeah, you're Mm -hmm. right. There is. I don't. I don't really have an accuracy issue with the Bonobo that I have here. I just still don't prefer the trackpad much to a regular mouse. But I don't. If I if I whip out a tray or if I whip out a little table, um, and I whip out a mouse, it's totally fine, right? Hmm. I don't know what that is. I don't know if you could hear it through the mic. I heard something. It sounded like sounds maybe. Like a, the Raptors, the System 76 Raptors are about to rip down the, <laughs> yeah, the, the drones they sent in. The drones. <laughs> you want um, accuracy? Here's some accuracy. Wouldn't it be, you see, this is, here's the huge advantage that Apple has but by having stores where you could go. Because, like, if you went into a System 76 store and you could try out all of their laptops and you discovered that the, one of the other models uh, had a right. better trackpad, you know, you just don't know. It's And it's kind of, and keyboard and trackpad are kind of big items. And They're I, huge. And, and I almost hate knocking them for the trackpad because, you know, my good trackpad may not be your good trackpad, right? Like the guy next to me who's literally asleep listening to the show right now, 
loves the MacBook One keyboard, the stupid uh, little no, the one with no travel. Yeah, I hate it. So I, I'm totally willing to say that this is like a preference thing, and I'm kind of a mouse click keyboard kind of guy. You know, there is a um, there is a Unity. The desktop has a uh, has a HUD feature where you can use the keyboard to navigate around most of the screen. Ooh. It might it might be worth looking into. You might want to dig around and look at Unity HUD because you can uh, you can use the keyboard to probably do some of the things you might want to accomplish with the mouse. It's kind of nice. It's one of the nicer things that people don't really talk about on the Unity desktop. Um, I will try that. Um, so I would also I also would just wonder what it, this is a waste of time most likely. But uh, you could always you could always try another live environment and see if you feel like the mouse works differently. And the reason why it's not totally crazy. <clears throat> Say you went with something like Antigross, you would be you would be getting a slightly newer kernel, possibly. Although sixteen ten is pretty pretty freaking current, um, which would have a different driver, and you would be using a different desktop environment, which would be communicating with that driver differently. And there uh, there are I'm some sorry. there are I'm sometimes sorry. differences there. Uh, Unity is the one true desktop environment. Yeah, and I w- yeah, and if that's what you're comfortable, I wouldn't really. It's not really worth the effort. Um, well, one thing you have to keep in mind, right? Like for work purposes, this laptop is great, and I have a very. And I've gotten a couple things on Twitter from people. Oh, just install this beta of this version of something, and I'm like, no, because I'm, you know, I went with Ubuntu Unity not because I think Unity is particularly good. I think it's fine, but it's super supported and super stable, right? Which is a very boring reason and very pragmatic reason to pick a desktop environment. <laughs> But no, unless you want to use it as a work tool. Well, that's what it is, right? It is. I mean, I, I live in Android Studio and RubyMine. So. I guess, you know, one thing yeah. might be worth trying. I, I, hate, I hate it when people recommend this, so don't do it. Don't do what I'm about to say. But it might be interesting if you booted into an elementary OS live environment and just saw what it was. Just because then you're still on an Ubuntu core system. I'm sorry, you mean Mac OS 14? Uh, you know, people give it a hard time, but if. Well, you know, it's kind of like, well, some of the desi- design d- design things that they have implemented are probably just a good way of doing it. Like, I really – the thing they get the most hard time for is their system center, like their system control panel. Mm. But it, it's also – there's something to be said to have something simple enough that I can look at it for five seconds and understand how to use the entire interface. I mean, there's just something to be said uh, for I that. Mean, I'm in Unity right now. I would say that the Unity control panel is pretty yeah. relatively simple, right? I mean mm-hmm. – Yeah. I, so – I don't know. I, if you you know the thing is legitimately okay. I'll tell you a couple of things that are nicer. Uh, the way the windows render on the screen look nicer. The, the applications look more consistent. The application launcher is a little different, but kind of cleaner. Uh, a little less tacky, I think. Um, and the notifications are way better than Unity notifications. They're so much better than the. I hate the Unity desktop notifications. It's one of the most criminal offenses of the Unity desktop is they haven't fixed those in the last thirty five years they've been shipping that desktop. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, wait, I just forty five years. Um, so, it, I mean, I'm not trying to convince you to reload your computer, but it, it is sometimes interesting to see if another implementation fixes trackpad issues. Because there, I can tell you by doing a lot of distro reviews, one of the things I now test is how it handles the trackpad, what features of the trackpad it lets you configure, like tap to click and speed and. Uh, touch to scroll and stuff like that. All the you know that's now a part of my review because the implementations are different enough that I consistently have to check for it. Eh, if you get bored, and the thing is, it's low risk because you just have to. 
You can install Etcher if you want, which is a great tool to write uh, ISO images to USB sticks and burn it and just boot off of a live USB stick and just use the mouse. And if you don't notice a difference, you know, reboot and you're done. So it's a pretty easy test. Although don't do it because I hate it when people recommend try this thing, load this thing, install this thing. That's always the worst answer ever because you just want your existing work environment. So don't do it. Unless you get yeah, bored uh, or just curious. I assure you that uh, I am very against trying new things. <laughs> yeah, good for you. That's a good, healthy, long-term strategy. What could go wrong? Um, all right. So speaking of people that are afraid to try new things, Steve Ballmer has been redefining history, my friend. He has uh, he has been dumping on Bill big time. And... Um, <clears throat> You know, before we go there, we spend, we've been together for a little bit. Uh, let's mention our second sponsor today, Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders is where you've got to go to let them know you support this show and want to keep us going. That's LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Then dig around and check it out. They've got a new seven-day free trial. This is a platform that helps you learn and grow with Linux. The, the kind of things that you really kind of have to learn to, to manage or build a system, like the real basics, but also the big stuff like the – like the services that sit on top of Linux, uh, AWS kind of stuff, Azure kind of stuff, DevOps topics, um, management and infrastructure kind of things, even down to the nitty gritty. In fact, they have these nuggets or just deep dives into singular topics, which, you, you know, you got, you got a couple of hours this week, do that. That's nice. They also have availability planners where you can get a little more of a set courseware with goals depending on how much time you have. And then if you're really kind of heads down and want to get into a specific career task, career task, they have these tracks that you can go take that will give you, like, specific content and training for that. And they have lab servers that spin up on demand when you need them. You SSH in, and you get to work on a real server. And they can grade you as you work on that system. If you want to go get your certs, they have courseware specifically for that course and plan. Um, and they have, a, they have instructors which are actually humans. They're not, they're not like bots. They're not like a, a farmed-out IRC room. It is actual human beings that can help you. They're involved with making the content, too, so they're familiar with it. And they got public credentials now, so you can share your accomplishments, and a community that's full of Jupiter Broadcasting members. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Okay, so this, uh, this, this I think I'm going to just play it. This is fair use to play this, and it's not too long. It's Steve Ballmer in an interview on Bloomberg, and... Um, <clears throat> In this, he basically pins uh, Microsoft's failure to beat the iPhone on Bill Gates and says that Bill Gates was holding him back. What was it like taking over from a founder CEO? People like to focus in on Bill was CEO, you were CEO. This was kind of like my baby, my baby and Bill's baby. And we were growing it and nurturing it. He was kind of like the senior partner. I was the junior partner. If it's in the raising of children, I would say he was more like, you know, mom gets to decide more than dad. But, you know. Oh, he already's um, going so off I, the tracks. I have, I take great satisfaction in the things we accomplished throughout the time, not just when I became CEO. When I became CEO, we had a very miserable year. Uh, Bill didn't know how to work for anybody. And I didn't know how to manage Bill. I'm not sure I ever learned the latter. Uh, things lightened hey, up some. And then I would say my life changed a lot in 2008 when Bill actually left wow. the company. Mm, how uh, so? At that, Bill had asked me, he said, look, I'm happy to help you anyway, but I don't want you to need me. So I can come and go if you want me, great, but I have another life. And in a sense, I finally felt like, okay, we're not partners anymore. 
I have to take accountability. And I think I probably did some of my very best work at the company after Bill left, actually. Really? Like what? She sounds surprised. Bing, sustained that investment. You know, that's really where we got into the cloud. We started what's now Office 365 in Azure after Bill left. You know, we pushed into the hardware <laughs> business with Surface. That's actually true. Uh, et cetera. And now uh, Satya Nadella, my successor, is sort of taking things there to infinity and beyond, if you will. How do you feel about being asked about your successes and your failures? What you're most proud of? What you're least proud of? You know, at this stage, uh, I'm almost uh, three years out. It's ancient history. Did I, you know, have a lot of success? Yeah. yeah. Are there some things I wish I'd done differently? Oh, yeah? Of course. Like what? I started a company that had about two and a half million of revenue and 30 people. And I left a company that had uh, 22 billion in profit. And I feel like that net net, pretty good success. What's your relationship with Bill like today? Yeah, we've kind of drifted, drifted apart. Uh, he's got his life. I sort of have mine. Microsoft was kind of the... Uh, the thing that really bound us. You know, we started off as friends, but then really got quite enmeshed around Microsoft. And you know, since the, since I've gone, you know, we really uh, have drifted a little bit. You know, he wasn't happy about when you left. You left suddenly, or you know, what really happened? Well, I mean, it was definitely a you know not a simple thing for either one of us. Uh, I think uh, that at the end of the day. There are probably two things. A little bit of a difference in opinion on the strategic direction of the company, hmm. which I think is, is a challenge. And then number two, you know, he and I had kind of always had uh, what I would call a brotherly relationship in the good, in the good parts and the bad parts. And I just think uh, towards the end that was, that was a bit more difficult than not, particularly with the strategic direction change. And, um, you know, the stock price wasn't going anything so the, anywhere, so the rest of the board – Felt pressure, despite the fact that profits were uh, going up. A little so bitter there. Kind of a combustible situation. And Does it ever uh, bother you don't, you don't get credit for that? Uh, sure and no. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, Seems I honest. have the great sort of comfort of knowing what I did and feeling good about myself and everything else doesn't really matter. Where did you want to take the company? Where did he want to take the company? I think there was a fundamental disagreement about how important it was to be in the hardware business. Mm. Mm. Uh, I had pushed yeah. Surface. The board had been a little, little reluctant in supporting it. And then things came to a climax around what to do about the phone business. Sachin Adela was on stage recently where he said missing the mobile phone was one of the biggest mistakes in Microsoft's history. What and which, you oops, which was blaming Bill. I would have moved. That was blame. He so I that when he said that that felt like a bomber. That's what I think. I think that's what led to this interview. I think this is the moment why Bomber was willing to do this interview. Uh, you know, I I have been a uh, a bomber defender for well, not defender, but you know, I really don't like the revision. So honestly, that interview that you labeled as Bomber's revision. Well, he's about history. to get to that part. So oh, far, yeah. I pretty much agree. Well, let me just interject here, right yeah. before because before he goes off the rails. Nadella did not come in on Monday and launch three. You and I have both said Tuesday. that. I know you and I have both right? said that. Balmer, they just cut his balls off before he could get his stuff to market. I, I will. I'll play the clip. See, here's the thing: yeah. uh, is I, I think Balmer, Balmer got there late, and then he, he floundered. He, made, he didn't no, know what he, he fundamentally made a mistake, and his mistake was 
he didn't understand. And I, honestly, I think you and I might be making this mistake when we talk about the MacBook Pro. We don't understand that at the end of the day, it's not speeds and feeds. It's something more intangible, something more soft, right? The user experience of a product. And he saw the iPhone as an expensive toy. And he mocked it, right? He mocked the price openly. Well, he, but he didn't get it that it was a sea change. So I actually, with that, that's the perfect point. With that said, I think that's the lens to view the rest of this interview. Moved into the hardware business faster and recognized that what we had in the PC where there was a separation of chips, systems, and software wasn't largely going to reproduce itself uh, in the mobile world. I wish I'd thought about the model of subsidizing phones through the operators. You know, people like to point to this quote where I said iPhones will never sell. It was because mm-hmm. the price of six or $700 was too high, and there was business model innovation by Apple to get it essentially built into the monthly cell phone bill. We should have been in the hardware business sooner in the phone case, and we were still suffering uh, what I would call some of the effects of uh, our Vista release of Windows, which sucked up a huge amount of resource for a much longer period of time than it should have because we stumbled over it. And when you have a lot of your best engineers sort of, in a sense, being nonproductive for a while, it really uh, takes a toll. Would you have bought Nokia? I certainly wanted to buy Nokia. The board at first disagreed with that and then came back and said the company should should go ahead even though I had decided to to leave. I think it was, if executed in a certain way, I think it made a lot of sense. A company chose to go another direction, and mm. that's, you know, that's... that's yeah, you would have had it done it much made. earlier. Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, well, this is almost done. I see the stock price flying <laughs> sky high, and all you can say is that the market certainly certainly agrees with the, the direction side just taking the company, and I'm super excited about that. So he's nice at the end there, so I want to give him that because he was that was really professional to say well, because basically you know, Sache is a gentleman, right? I so, mean, he, he's an old school West Coast business gentleman. He does say it in a way where you can understand where he's a little bitter about it, but Sache, you know, it, like like he is right about Azure. The part I think he revisions on this is he he really he sort of. He sort of doesn't take responsibility for the Vista fumble. He doesn't take responsibility for not pushing the carriers into a new, a new business uh, model, as he puts it, to subsidize them. He just took a back seat on all of that stuff. And he did it at a time when they had a massive penetration in the market. So it was like the worst time to squander it. And that, I think, is all on him. So I think the issue for Balmer was... You know, Microsoft had a great game during a technology cycle that was very enterprise and very business focused. And Apple was able to see a way to leverage some of the new technologies, of course, but also some of these other technologies, yeah, uh, like mobile phones in particular. You have mm-hmm. to remember, not so long ago, the mobile phone, the BlackBerry at the time, was the phone of the, you know, from where I from, the Wall Street businessman, right? Not, I'm sure, whatever, Valley, Hotshot, whatever, you know, whatever kind of Seattle businessman in your area. Yeah, we use Windows Apple, CE devices and right, Palms. Apple, sure, Palms, Windows CEs. <laughs> in New York, it was all Blackberries, but yeah. whatever. Yeah, right? no, I had, I actually, there, I had a long relationship with a Blackberry. Too. Yeah, I had a Blackberry uh, curve actually. So, at some point, Apple realized we can democratize this technology. We can innovate the business model in terms of getting people to not realize they're paying a thousand dollars for a cell phone, right, or eight hundred dollars, whatever it was. 
and we'll make a deal with Singular. Everybody forgets that Apple's deal, the, the iPhone would not have happened if Singular Wireless wasn't desperate. And if yeah, remember how they got unlimited data? Remember that? Remember right, iPhones remember getting unlimited data? And AT&T, when they bought Singular, was like loath to honor that deal. Do you mm-hmm. remember? I remember all of the business model conflicts when the iPhone first came out. I have, we, I have an yeah. old plan that I, I have kept around over the years just because it's unlimited. Um, so yeah. it's, I, I, it is, it was a, it was a very unique thing. The other thing that was, that was sort of a, an area where Apple sort of executed, I think much better than Balmer did was when they bought uh what was it? PI semiconductor. I can't remember the company's yeah. name. Yeah. 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 Where yeah. Apple, where Apple realized the whole hardware software, ship it together, uh, be, make it one product. Now in an era of Surface Books and computers from Microsoft, the Pixel from Google, and the iPhone, which – what was the latest stat? Makes 104 percent of the market uh, profit. profit. Well, that's – I mean that is an anomaly because the uh, Note uh, the Note 7, which yeah. was supposed to be a one-to-one competitor, ends up being a freaking hand grenade. Right. But the most profitable phone in the industry is the one Ever. that's led by the company that pioneered the idea of one product, all one product. The software, the hardware, the engineering. And now that's where Microsoft is at, and that's where Google is at. And I think Ballmer tries to play like he was trying to get there. And I think that's the, some revisionist crap. I don't think no, Ballmer— I don't know that it—I mean, he had to have been trying to get there, right? No, I, I think, think Ballmer— I think Ballmer was a true believer in licensing. I think he saw value well, perhaps in having a Microsoft product, but I think he always saw revenue in licensing. See, the impression I get of him is he was a believer in licensing, but he always— you know, he wanted the surface. That's the impression was, you get from this video. No, that's the impression I get. They could not have launched, right? I mean, the, sur- the surface came out when Balmer was still, you know, the big kahuna. See, there was a lot of internal debate, I am led to believe, about even launching the surface. And Balmer was one of the ones that thought it was too risky and it would piss off their most valuable OEMs. See, I have to say that I, first of all, fundamentally don't believe that licensing is a good business model. I think that... If you have a vendor or a licensee or an OEM that gets a fixed revenue per unit on licensing your software, and this could even go for you know people in the audience who like want to write software and license it to people, they are incentivized to devalue and commoditize your software as much as possible. Yeah, man. That, or, but, or they're going to commoditize their own hardware to try to boost their margin. Well, that's that's so obvious to us now in in almost 2017. But this man started with a company in the 80s and, like he said himself, took it from a $2 million company to a $22 billion company on the back – on the backs of software licensing. I mean you okay. – he's sitting – he but was sending – any new market, right? That's any new market, any new technology. Right, but he license. is the king of the – he is – his throne is built on top of licensing. He's literally the – he's sitting at the top of the largest software company in the world, all built on re- re- licensing revenue, I, he, he was all in. And to play now, like he wanted to go all in on hardware, it would be, I think, is a revision. I think that is where he's sort of um, not lying, but trying to trying to make his legacy perhaps a little tidier. See, I did not read that at all, that he's all in on hardware. What, mm. I, what I'm saying is that... And, See, it's funny. I, I think it's really funny that that's the criticism you have of his thing because I, I think totally trying to whitewash the Vista debacle is really the thing we ought to be talking about, right? The 
tremendous Here's, failure in software I planning agree. that was yes, Windows I was just, and, and, and let us not forget Longhorn ponies, right? Like, mm-hmm. really, like, there and has then the public been. shame they had to live with, and they had well, to, they had to, and then eight sucked too. Let's be honest, eight wasn't really well received either. I mean the. I mean, the Longhorn Vista thing is complicated because is Longhorn actually Vista? My feeling in it is no. That's actually a project that was just shot in the back of the head. And then parts of it were salvaged for Vista. Then they had seven, right, which mm-hmm. was good. Mm-hmm. And then eight was not as bad as people say it was, but... It was bad, though. Especially geez. for their core business, which you just said earlier was Enterprise. It was. They made it. They made it. That's, that's where he, and I will defend him to the end, Steven Sanofsky was right. I was. I'm impressed that he took a risk. Uh, I'll give you that. So here's what he said, though. Here's why I'm. Here's what I'm giving. You're right. I think all oh, that's atrocious. But here's the thing that he said. Here's the quote. <clears throat> this is Balmer. There was a fundamental dis- disagreement about how important it was to be in the hardware business. Balmer said, "I had pushed Surface. The board had been a little too, a little too reluctant in supporting it. And then things came to a climax around what around what to do with the phone business." See, I think he was being sloppy with how to get in the hardware business, and he was just sort of floundering, and Nokia was originally his idea. He's like, well, let's get these guys, because everybody at the time said, wouldn't it be awesome if Nokia made an Android phone and shipped that? And that was like the peak Nokia hype, and they bought them, and I think he was just sort of being sloppy about it, and that's why the board was reluctant. But But he plays it off as if he had this vision about the integrated software hardware product, and the board held him back. Well, I, I think before we get too far ahead of ourselves, we should acknowledge that Microsoft's fastest growing revenue is in the services Azure sort of category, right? The I don't, I forgot how they. I think they just call it services. It's like Office three six five and Azure. Yeah, the we did that because I started Bing services. Yeah, which doesn't make money, but the things we've also thrown in there to hide Bing's losses too. Yay for creative accounting. Um, do you think it would have mattered? I mean, th- this is to me. This is the fundamental question with the bomber error of Microsoft. Had he bought Nokia six months before he did, would we be carrying Nokia phones? You know, would Nokia be the platform getting the robust, native, TechCrunch-worthy developer apps? Although I, I have a lot to say about apps that get featured on TechCrunch, but we can talk about that. I think it would have to be the Microsoft of today. With, with the hardware experience that they have now, with a platform, you are falling that's... right into the 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 celebrity Satya Nadella. No, 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 no. Here's why I mean that: is they actually have experience now on how to how to ship mobile hardware devices like the Surfaces. So they've actually done it for a couple of years. They have experience, and Windows 10 is liked a lot more than Windows was at the time he was uh, at the helm. So you're going to potentially get more people willing to use it. So their story is that in addition to Satya Nadella's leadership, which at this point probably matters, they also made an effort to like hire designers and attract designers, right? The previously design had been second fiddle at Microsoft. Do you believe that? It sounds like that's what you're saying, that like, you know, user experience designers, industrial designers, graphic designers, um, that they've somehow grown that capability in-house. I think what I'm trying to communicate is the Microsoft at the time 
didn't value the things they value now. And what I mean by that is they couldn't build the right kind of products. They they built shitty products when they built all-in-one stuff. Okay, but it's the same people, man. It, you know, when Microsoft wants to show but that the they care about something... But, uh, but the competitive still, atmosphere has oh, forced them to up their game. No, really. They still parade Scott Guthrie out there in a red sweater, and I, I think Scott Guthrie is great, but... No, I think... Not, it's not like changing the CEO fires the next three okay. layers of management down. Think of it this way, Mike. You, you, you had to have seen the comments, either in podcasts or in Twitter, where people said, wow, I actually feel like I was more impressed by the Microsoft uh, keynote yesterday than I, I was. I, I made one of those comments. Yes. My point is the Microsoft of today is building products that Microsoft at his time wasn't capable no. of creating. No. Wrong. The point is the Apple of today is so fucking lost that John Scully would be an improvement. Ooh, that sounded mean. I think I think everyone's had to up their game. That's why Google now is selling Ooh, the Pixel who's phone. Who's upping their game? Who is upping their game? I think Who Microsoft has not gone down in the last three years. Microsoft it's, is shipping the most innovative hardware yeah, they've ever they built. They started from the lowest fucking point. Look at Apple and Google, who are winning. Google is. I don't know what the fuck they're doing. They'll give you a Chromecast and a little speaker and call it Google Home. <laughs> yeah. And Tim Cook's over there ripping ports out like he has to, <laughs> like they murdered his family. Like he, he sees a USB three port and it's like, you mother, I'm going to get you. Like, I don't understand how anybody could look at those. Two. Let's, let's just get rid of Google for a second. Let's look at Microsoft and Apple because those are the traditional competitors and say, my God, Microsoft's event was good. No, Microsoft's event was okay. Apple's was fucking terrible. So by comparison, of course, you feel that the Microsoft event was good. You are not going to pay $3,000 plus for that Surface no, Studio. No, 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 You're no. You're not no. going to do it. No. That knob is a stupid gimmick. You don't want it. It's still a bad idea. And by the way, the creatives that Microsoft still wants to try to get have a workflow in Mac OS that if Apple could get over the little jihad about ports and fucking thinness would stay with them forever right who i'll be honest with you if i didn't previous before the macbook pro launch know it was going to suck i would not have bought the lemur i would have waited but because i knew it was going to suck i bought the lemur so why you you act as though microsoft has somehow taken the competition and done well that is a misleading and kind of really destructive and, and dishonest way to I don't see that at all. If Apple released a proper fucking studio computer or mobile workstation, no one would be covering the Microsoft event except for Paul Thorat, and he'd be crying because it wouldn't be as good. He'd be making up reasons that the Apple one's worse. You know, I actually just last night watched a, a video from Linus Tech Tips where they were called down to Redmond and uh, we, they toured the area where they've been building products. And it's interesting to see Microsoft evolve and, and invest in actually creating more resources on site at Redmond to build things and build models as they're engineering things. I, I think you are underplaying how hard they worked and how they prioritize things about this new iMac that they released. I think... Uh, I'm sorry, you mean the Surface Studio? Hmm? No, I mean the Microsoft mm -hmm. iMac. Uh, ah. the, the, I think that they, I think you actually might not be uh, f informed on how hard they worked, how they, how the company. It is not a viable product. I know, I agree. I, but I I'm saying, I'm saying if that, if the company, but here's what you it. asked me. Here's what, I'm going back to what you asked me. If the company that made the Microsoft iMac today 
were making a complete phone back in the days when Nokia was still a standalone company. Um, I still don't think I still don't I still don't really think they maybe they could have done it. If they, I don't even know what you're talking about. If Steve Wozniak ran, ran Apple, I'd have a USB port. Honey, bunny, I, you're, honey, honey, you're the one that asked me if Balmer was in office. If they could have released an all-in-one phone back then, could they have been successful? If they could have gotten Nokia six months that earlier, is not what I asked you. If they, had, I asked you if they had bought six fun, Nokia six months earlier, mm-hmm. do you think it would have made a difference? This is what I'm I answering. Didn't say that they would design the phone. The the okay. I see where you misunderstood me. My win scenario for them with under Balmer was they buy Nokia and they shut up and let Nokia do its thing. Oh, and like keep it its own separate brand, kind of like Amazon them, and Zappos. Right, exactly. Let them do their thing, but you know, make sure they never release an Android phone. <laughs> like a totally defensive maneuver. Not for the love of God, don't let them touch it. Jeez, what if, I, I never. What about I, what about a Nokia phone that runs Android with a Microsoft launcher, all the Microsoft services, all the Microsoft apps? It's like what they kind of did with Cyanogen, only on a Nokia device that's well built. I mean, that would be great. But what about an iPhone running Android seven? Right, that'd be nice too. No, I'm just no, Android's horrible. Ooh. Yeah, it's horrible. I'm sorry. I've got. I'm sorry. I've got a few Android devices, so I feel like I can speak with some authority. I've been doing Android Dev for all weekend, and I can tell you that Android is in fact horrible. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Here's what uh, we all hall uh, suggests for you and I: just use a damn Hackintosh. He says, uh, use it. Just use it, Chris. I if you find it to be the best tool for the job, don't second guess. Just go. It's the right option, and I'm looking forward to hearing the review. Uh, would you consider it? Like, say, uh, say you could get yourself a moderate, like the uh, laptop uh, from a vendor that uh, had a had a trackpad you liked or something. Like, say you could get to the right laptop combination. Would you consider putting macOS on there if it could work? Use a Hackintosh for your, no, for your tools? No, no. My issue with the lemur is not the OS. In fact, that's the high point. Uh, my issue is the the hardware itself, the trackpad. I'm considering it. Um, here's my well, issue. a lot more risk on a laptop, too. You're better off doing a tower. But Totally. Yeah, I, it's, yeah. yeah especially on a newer laptop that has yeah. more modern components. Um, but here's why I here's why I don't think it's going to be su- successful because if there's anything that can break a Hackintosh, it's Final Cut, or anything that can break on a Hackintosh, it's Final Cut. No, it's it's the Wi-Fi driver. Actually. Well, that too, yeah. <laughs> but Final Cut really, you know, it's constantly using it needs all of the features of the GPU yeah. to be right, so the driver's got to be rock solid there. It's, Doesn't it use GCD or my my living in Snow Leopard days still? Um, I don't know. I'm it whatever it uses, it can use the hell out of your cores. So if it's, I would yeah. imagine it's probably one of their poster childs of GCD. Uh, yeah. Also, it's updated via the App Store, so that's all all got to be solid. And mm-hmm. updates are tied to the latest release of the OS, so that's also got to be solid. That those individual and the fact that I want it on a fast laptop that can also be a kick ass Linux box. Uh, those, those things make it not an awesome. Uh, that doesn't episode. seem like a good idea. Should we cut into episode two, though, my love? Because All right. Well, yes, we'll uh, we'll wrap this up. We'll make this. We'll mark this the official right here wrap up point of uh, episode two thirty. As Mike hinted, we're going to record a double. Boom. So uh, we won't be live next week because uh, we're recording it right now. I'll be on the road and Mike's. I don't know. I think he's got I think he's got like a hit job or something he's doing. Maybe you'll find out I, on Twitter. I, I'm actually going to be the new uh, CFO of Microsoft. I'm auditing <laughs> the shit out of the office division. Tell someone where to find you on the lines if they want. Uh, at Jumanuko on Twitter. All right. And you can follow the networks on the lines if you want over at, at Jupiter Signal. And uh, we are normally live on Mondays. Get the time at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Thanks for being here and visit us at coderadio.reddit.com throughout the week. Mm-hmm.